everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. As always, I'm so excited to be back this week. I say that every week and I literally mean it every week, okay? (laughs) Um, So this week we have Kristen Boyle. We have an amazing conversation. She's a yoga therapist and somatic coach. And we really get into talking about um, how trauma lives in our bodies and really exploring the physical embodiment of trauma. Um, it's really cool. So she kind of goes beyond just talk therapy and like gets inside your body. We talk about like mm, the yoga pose, chair pose, <laughs> and how brutal it is and how it can also be an amazing um practice and we we go into just the fear of even just saying chair pose that comes up and then um walking through like all the different ways that you can experience chair pose and how that relates to um going through trauma and and really releasing trauma so fascinating conversation um but i have a few announcements before we get there so um i forgot last week to mention the discount code last week for our guest, um, Jana Romer, who is the creator of Attune to the Moon. So I'm going to give it here today. So Jana Romer, in case you missed it, um, has this program or platform. It's called Attune to the Moon. And it's really a platform where astrology meets yoga nidra. It's so amazing. Um, and she has different yoga nidras that she's recording um, and you can listen to through this platform. It's all on a website. It's super easy to use. And it changes based on where the moon is, which sign the moon is, and which sun sign we're in. So right now we're in Pisces season, and it's all like dream themed. And let me tell you, my dream journal has been getting so much action, so many amazing downloads. It's been so fun. Um, But there's, you know, she also changes it to the um, moon sign. So, you know, almost like every three or four days it changes. Um, and it's, uh, I've just been loving it. It's, it's my daily morning meditation practice. I literally roll over in my bed. Not sure if I'm supposed to do it in my bed. Don't care. And listen, uh, turn on a yoga nidra and just listen to Jana's beautiful voice. Um, and they also have just like so many other amazing things. They've got, um, new moon circles and full moon circles and, um, Reiki, um, meetups and, so many awesome things. So she's offering 50% off to the membership to the expander pass. And the code for that is lit AF 50. So L I T A F five zero. And, um, that'll be $11 a month, which is like amazing for this really, really, really cool practice. Um, and you can go to attune to the moon.com to enter that discount code. Highly recommend. I hope to see you in the next new moon circle. They're amazing. Um, so yeah. And then of course I want to do my weekly check-in. So um I've been playing around this week with an mantra, whatever you want to call it. Um, I had a wonderful Akashic reading from Jess Briggs, who was on the show on February 2nd. You can check out her interview. And during the reading, she gave me an mantra. I don't know which one to call it, so I'm calling it both. And it was, I see the love that is already here. And I've just been like thinking about it and taking it in and applying it. And then this weekend, 
Um, I got this like weird download to go through childhood photos with that Afro mantra in mind. And I want to back up a little bit because I feel like um, all of this personal growth work that I've been doing is very much processing all of the trauma from my childhood as an adult. And I think it's so empowering to be able to label it and um, process it. Like that's a tool, right? So um, processing the fact that I am a fearful avoidant, that I am a child of an alcoholic and that um, I'm a child of a codependent. Like there's all of these AA groups for exactly all these things that I'm naming, right? So wonderful tools and communities to help process um, all of these realities. And I think that like the other side of it is this Afro mantra of like, yes, that did happen and I'm processing it. And yes, I'm a valid, worthy human being. And also there was still a lot of love that happened through all of that. And I think it's important to remember that. And obviously I'm now in a space where I can see that I was not there a year ago. So take that take that with a grain of salt or whatever you want to whatever kind of grain you want to hold it with um so I looked through my childhood photos seeing the love that was there and it was such a fun exercise because love is expressed in so many different ways right think of the five different love languages like there's um random acts of service there's gifts there's touch, like all time, like spending time with each other. So I'm looking at these photos and thinking like, oh my God, my parents drove me three hours away to this like cheerleading conference. Like, wow, that is a lot of love. That's time spent together. That's monetary support. Um, and that's, you know, just like, like supporting each other. It was amazing. Um, and it was such a cool reframe of actually physically looking through those photos. Um, and <laughs> another one was for Halloween, I would like saw this old picture of me dressed up kind of like David Bowie meets ballerina with like a purple tutu, but then this like super hardcore, like David Bowie, like star makeup on. I'm like, damn, like my mom loved me so much. She like put that makeup on my face. She totally rolled with all of my crazy style, <laughs> style requests as a child. It's just amazing. So a super fun exercise. And I just really appreciate the learnings from it. And now, like snap, snap to modern day, present times, um, I keep thinking about how, you know, our fave neuroscientist, Senor Daddy Hugh, Andrew Huberman, hottie patati, talks about how the same brain space that we use to interact, perceive, love, whatever, with our parents is the same exact brain space that we use with our partner. And so I'm just thinking like, damn, okay, how can I use this same Afro mantra to see the love that is already here? And then also just honor that that relationship that I'm carrying, those relationships that I'm carrying from childhood are still existing present times. So that's like a lot for me to just process and um, chew on and oof, it's a lot, but I'm just having so much fun, like unblocking Peeling like an onion, insert whatever analogy you like to use here because that is how I'm feeling and it's um, it's really enjoyable. So I want to share that all with you. 
Um, I told my friend about it and she's like, oh yeah, my sister recently did that. I'm like, oh my God, it's such a cool, cool, fun practice to do. All right. So that is my check-in for today. That's like what's going on in my personal growth life. (laughs) And, um, without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. All right. Well, Kristen Boyle, welcome to Lit AF. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. This is really, I'm really excited to get yeah, into our me, me too. You have so much like juicy stuff in your practice. So it's going to be, I'm excited. I just said I love that word juicy. Juicy. Just- oh my God. Me too. <laughs> Me too. So you are a yoga therapist and a somatic coach. I'm so excited about how those you blend these practices together. So tell us a little bit about your practice and how do you bridge these two modalities together? Oh, yeah. I love – this is like my favorite topic to talk about because the practice that I do is just about as unique as every client that I work with. And so every session is going to look different. and. Um, just because we're all different people, but mm-hmm. yoga therapy is is kind of really the classical use of yoga. Um, it is therapeutic. It's not necessarily a workout that we get in the studio, and it's not a stretch, and it's not you know it's it's deeper than that, and yet it can be just that. Um, but in my work, we're always accessing the deeper layers. So we may be doing something physical but it accesses the energetic layer of our body. It accesses the emotional layer. It accesses the intellect of the mind, and then it accesses the spiritual realm. So we're always working with all of these, and it's in yoga therapy. It's called the Panchamaya Kosha model. Um, and how I take that into somatic coaching is that I'm, you know, I'm not working like a physical therapist where we're trying to work with an injury or strengthening or stretching, but rather we're working with all of those, those layers. And um, so in a session with me, I am using shapes or asana to evoke sensations and sensations being something that we practice being really aware of, mindful of, curious of because there may be something else there. And, and that it's really in, um, in psychology, it's called a bottom-up approach. So we're going from the bottom, from the body, up into the awareness of what's happening, rather than starting with talking about what's happening and then seeing what else is going on. So it kind of reverses it. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. And by shapes, I'm assuming you are talking about actual, like getting into a physical position. Yeah. Yeah. And so I use the word shape because it's much more neutral than using the word posture or yoga asana, which is the yoga posture itself. Um, And so, you know, some people might know utkatasana or they might know chair pose and it comes with a lot of stigma. But there's something very different if I take a different approach and say, sit your hips low and reach your arms high. And now you've got full... um, you know, full agency, you are empowered to interpret those instructions how you want to and go as far as you want to. And then we play with that and, and I call it an edge. You're creating a sensation that you can stay with for a little while, but you might not want to. But also to go into that, that place of empowerment, you always have choice. Do you go further? Do you back away or do you stay with it? 
And so, so we're working on a lot of different layers with every shape that we take with the body. That's amazing. I love, <laughs> I love hearing about this bottom up approach because I feel mm-hmm. like so much trauma is stored in the body, like physically. And this seems like such a wonderful way to access it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even there are many, many studies now um, that are working with trauma and saying that the healing of trauma must involve the body. And so I see it as an unfinished story. You know, if something exciting happens in your life or something terrifying, you know, say you're on your way to work and you see an, an almost car crash, right? And you observe it. Well, your nervous system goes, <gasps> right? And you're all of a sudden in fight or flight and you can't breathe and you're stressed and your heart's racing. All of that happens, even though the car wreck may not have happened and you're just an observer, right? So now you go to the office and you're still in that fight or flight mode and your colleague walks up and says, hey, we need to get into a meeting right now. You know, there, there's something that just can't wait. You don't have the opportunity to tell the story about what you just experienced or even to do something movement-wise with your body. I mean, literally shake it off like an animal does, right? You don't have that opportunity. And mm-hmm. so that story is now locked in your body. Even though our rational mind might say, that was not traumatic. You know, that was a good outcome. The wreck didn't happen. Your body's still in that fight or flight mode until you can finish the story. And so that one little thing, you know, 20 years down the road, <laughs> you could be working with me in a session and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're noticing that heart racing and, and all of a sudden your mind remembers that car wreck. Well, now you have the opportunity to process it and to complete it so you can move on. And, you know, that may be a minor thing, right? But how many minor things do we experience every day? You know, you turn on the news or, (laughs) you know, or you just think about something that's happening in life. You know, I I heard yesterday that um, 98% of the things we worry about don't happen. And yet we worry about them, right? (laughs) That has a physiological impact. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. I love that because the work that I've been doing, this personal development journey that I've been on, it's all been focused on like childhood trauma, all of the stuff that has happened in the past. And yeah, there's so much that's happened in the past, right? And like the more I do this work, the weirder the memories come up where I'm like, huh, I clearly need to still process that moment where I was told to do something I didn't want to do. You know, it's so like little, like now I'm getting to like the finer details. Um, But I forgot that like trauma happens to us every single day. Like we're living in a pandemic. That is traumatic in itself. And I keep forgetting. I literally keep forgetting. (laughs) So it's so like, it's just, it's um, good to realize that like, Trauma isn't just your childhood. It's things that happen to you still today. Yeah. Yeah. It's ongoing. And, you know, I I often say that trauma can have a lowercase t. It doesn't have to have a capital T. You know, some of us have had major trauma. You know, others of us have lots of anxiety and we never had a capital T trauma. So so we need to normalize and accept that it – Everybody responds differently. You know, that that time when you were wearing your your brand new 
white dress and you spilled hot chocolate on it and your mom got upset, right? Mm. Like, like that's a lowercase t trauma, but depending on your own patterning, nervous system, upbringing, you know, your response to that could have been deep, deep shame. And then you carry that into your adult life, you know, and, and so every single time you feel shame again, that old little lowercase t traumas is kind of triggered until you can work through it, right? Until you can work through it and finish the story. I love, I yeah. love hearing that modality or um, method of like going through the trauma or even shaking it off. I mean, Andrew Huberman, the neuroscientist, has talked a lot about like shaking – how animals shake off their Absolutely. anxiety. And I've seen my dog do this every single time. She'll go to the window. She'll bark at everyone on the street because she's being such a good guard dog. Her hackles are raised. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and I look at her and I'm like, that would take me a full day to come down off of. Like I can't process my emotions that quickly. And then she'll just hop off the couch and shake it off. It's so yeah. amazing to watch. And dogs just move on. You and know? Yes. She moves on and I'm like, mm-hmm. I would be stuck like thinking about what I just lived through. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And well, so that's something that might happen in my sessions. Sometimes we do just kind of shake and shake and shake and shake, you know, sometimes we run because what if your trauma involved an impulse of your body to run, but you couldn't mm-hmm. run for whatever reason, you know, and, and that can even happen in. Um, I think of of birth trauma, if you had an epidural and then you were scared about something like your body needs to run, but your legs can't move, you know, and that can be a trauma in itself. So, you know, I think we we rationalize and overlook how many of these things have an impact on us. And it doesn't mean it has to be heavy. It just means we need to acknowledge that something happened, you know, something happened. I love that. That's so beautiful. So tell us about somatic coaching. Um, I identify as a very dismissive avoidant attachment style and going through feelings and um, doing somatic feeling exercises has been such a game changer for me. So I just love to hear more about that practice. Yeah. And so it's, it's really what, what I've developed out of the yoga therapy that I do. Um, It involves a dialogue through the body. You know, so so for example, since I brought up Utkatasana or chair pose earlier, perhaps I'm I have a client holding that and they're feeling, you know, tightness in the legs, and then they're feeling fatigue, and then they're feeling even a response of like, I want to get out of this pose. I don't want to be here. You know, this is not where I want to be. Well, there's there's something else there, you know, emotionally. Mm-hmm. And yet we get to work in breathing. Noticing sensations, the sensations get to be there. The feeling of wanting to leave gets to be there, and you get choice in how long you stay. When you leave, do you go deeper? Um, I always say you have three choices: you can stay, you can leave, or you can change. Right, and so um, mm. yeah, so we're we're kind of playing with that, and without the conscious mind having to remember a situation where you may have felt fatigued and that you wanted to get out um, to that extreme degree, you get to work through that feeling so that the next time it comes up, maybe you're a little bit better with that. And it could be, you know, I'm in a meeting and my boss is just really railing me and I want to escape. I'm feeling tired and exhausted and I want to escape. That could be what the memory is about, but we don't have to specifically know. 
you might figure it out with time, but you don't have to because you're allowing your body to kind of feel into, okay, I am safe here. You know, I am breathing and it's uncomfortable, but I am safe. And so the next time that similar feeling comes up, you know, you're safe. So we're, we're using the sensation, we're using dialogue, you know, a lot of it's describe the sensation to me. Um, those words are really important. Sometimes I joke that I'm actually more of a linguist <laughs> because what are you using? What words are you using? You know, a, a tightness, restriction, block, you know, um, what does that block feel like? Oh, it feels like a heavy boulder, you know, oh, what does it feel like to hold a boulder? You know, so we're, we're working a lot with metaphor, um, sometimes imagery. There's just a lot that can come in, which is why I say this since the session is as unique to the client as the client is unique because um, everybody works and operates just a little bit differently. Mm, that's so beautiful. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. I feel like just hearing the word chair pose, <laughs> I'm already like, <laughs> like brought that one up. <laughs> like, oh, that's like my least favorite yoga pose. And every time we get into it, I'm like, how long is this gonna last? <laughs> you know, when when I taught studio classes, which I I don't much anymore, um, partly because of the pandemic, but partly because I've just transitioned into doing my private practice. Chair pose was also one that I hated. Until I decided that I loved it so much because of the experience that it evokes. And, and so my students always knew when they came to my class, they were going to do at least three chair poses and I was going to hold them there for a long time. I know, right? Wow. <laughs> I gained a reputation. Brutal. That is that brutal. Is. Yeah. It's brutal till it's not. I will say that. Like yeah. I yeah. I I feel like pain I've spent my whole life running away from pain and that's ended up like me with a drinking problem, a 20-year smoking habit, $20,000 worth of credit card debt. I mean, just constantly running and trying to fill pain. And now that I've stopped running and I've learned how to process emotions, it's like such a game changer. And I recently got food poisoning and it was like, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> it was in Mexico. And like, I was just like on the floor. I could, I couldn't even get off the floor. Like that's where I was at. And I was just able to coach myself through it. I'm like, there's going to be a day when you're not going to feel, it's going to be really soon. You're probably going to feel good in a couple of hours. Yeah. Like this is just a moment. And like, this is, you know, your body's like really taking care of itself right now. So super weird self-coaching thing that I never would have expected to come out of this, right. but it feels amazing. Well, and even in that, like in your story, there was a lot of running, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of running from, and then a coming around to facing the facts, facing the problem, facing the issue. So you can actually start to move forward and move forward in a better way. And then this experience of, of food poisoning, it's like, you can't run anymore. Mm -hmm. You got to face this and you got to purge it. You know? yeah. and I, yeah. I know that sounds really weird to talk about, um, you know, food poisoning on a spiritual level, but in my work, it, it's <laughs> absolutely, if you use it on a spiritual level and you bring your awareness to like, I'm purging something, who knows? You may have a complete transformation simply from food poisoning. <laughs> simply from just letting it all go. <laughs> letting it happen. Yeah. 
acceptance. Letting it happen, happening. yeah. Right. And oh. I don't know if you'd like to share some of what you've experienced with somatic coaching, but I'd love to hear because there are different angles, different different modalities and approaches to it, but I'd love to hear what you've yeah. experienced. Yeah. So I started doing a just daily feelings log and that for me, it became really clear I was working with a shadow coach that I – she'd be like, well, what are you feeling? And I'm like, I feel confused. And that kept being like my answer. Mm-hmm. And like she was like, that can't keep being your answer. Like you need to explore your feelings a little bit more. <laughs> so I started doing a daily feelings log where I would just log eight to noon, noon to four, four to eight, what I was feeling. Um, and then do a little thought work around it of like how, you know, why, what were my beliefs? What were my thoughts? All of the emotions and and then doing um a somatics feelings meditation of just really sitting into, I would pick one major feeling or one that I was the most uncomfortable with. And then um, for eight minutes, I would just sit there. I still do this every night. I sit there and I um, try to name the body part where I'm feeling it, the vibration, the um, color or texture, if it has Mm. that. And then eventually kind of go back to previous memories of where I felt that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And and so feelings in my language are physical sensations. They're also energetic sensations. They're also emotional. They're also intellect. Right. And so when you're saying feelings, you know, and, and you started with, well, well I'm confused. Um, yeah, it's absolutely the what's underneath confusion and how can we access that? You know, so so yeah, absolutely. I love hearing all of that. Mm. And then you you still, it sounds like today, <laughs> you take it all the way. And so what what color goes along with that? What shape? What size is it? What else is there? Is there a texture? You know, um, yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's so, it's been such a game changer. And then, you know, as I do it at the end of the day, I'm able to get closer and closer to identifying them in the moment. You know, not 100%, but like it's getting there. <laughs> yeah, but it's more tricky, isn't it? Um, depending on our family of origin um, or who we grew up with or around, we were either encouraged or discouraged to feel, you know, and sometimes we learn to bottle up those feelings and pack them down. And somehow in some way at some time, those need to come out and because otherwise, you know, it turns into disease you know, of, of the mental or disease of the physical, you know, um, there's, there's so many connections to that. And so how, you know, and, and then also society, it's not always acceptable to show your feelings. So where can you show your feelings? You know, how we still need to feel them. Um, I'll, I'll share a story. Um, a few years ago, I had just gone through a a breakup and I was like, okay, fine. I'm just going to be lonely you know, and lonely, you know, is, is like a feeling. Like you can be alone and not feel lonely, but I was feeling really lonely and I was just like, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm done. I don't need to, to seek anyone else in my life. I'm just going to really feel alone and lonely. And so I turned on this movie at the recommendation of a friend. It's called a ghost story with Casey Affleck. And it is the slowest moving, most artistic movie because he is a ghost throughout it. And he watches, he just stands back and observes his, his wife. Um, so he's dead and his wife going through the motions of her life. 
And it is so lonely that I found myself like, you know, ugly sobbing (laughs) as I was watching it. But I felt that feeling, you know, like it's kind of what you're saying with your, your journal is that you identify a feeling and then really feel it. And I woke up the next day just feeling open and alive and ready. And it was really then when I met who's my partner right now. <laughs> so, you know, it's almost like oh my by God, that's diving amazing. into that feeling. Yeah. It's almost like I cleared it mm. and then the universe decided, okay, you don't have to be lonely after all. <laughs> <laughs> you're ready yeah that's, that's kind of an out there story yeah. and I know it doesn't always work that way but I do feel that I accepted to such a deep degree that you know I can be alone you know and then it mm. all happened <laughs> wow that's incredible that is so incredible I like hearing how you used a movie to help experience that emotion because I think that's yeah. really powerful so powerful. And I think too that like uh, you dove deep into accepting that emotion because there's like you can say the word I'm lonely and still be mad at it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But to just accept it and fully surrender to it is like the key. And to fully surrender to loneliness, which is what Mm. none of us want to actually feel, you know, Mm. Those, those emotions that are hard to feel. So. They are really hard. <laughs> and all of us feel them. All yeah. of us. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Oh, that is so, so beautiful. So um, you talk a lot about embodied living. Um, and I'd love to learn more about what exactly does embodied living mean and what are the steps to living a little bit more embodied? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, so in my work, you know, it's always evolving and developing. And like I said, it, it comes from my yoga therapy training and, and years of yoga and years of living in my own body, actually. Um, I've always been a mover. So I was a dancer before the yoga, you know, and so I've always been in my body. Um, but I've, I've come to talk about it like embodied mindfulness So we talk a lot about mindfulness, which is watching your thoughts and being present with what you're doing and being mindful. Um, And to me, that's not quite enough. I want to feel in my body what it feels like. And so I call it embodied mindfulness. And it really is almost as simple as checking in with your body. You know, hey, body, how do you feel right now? Oh, I'm feeling tight and tense in my shoulders. Oh, I could just like wiggle them out and release them you know, or I'm standing and doing my dishes and feeling like, oh, wow, the water's really warm on my hands. And, um, you know, I, I am scrubbing, you know, the texture of the, the sponge as I'm scrubbing. Um, oh, and my feet are on the floor, you know, oh, the floor is cold. So really just checking in to see what's there. It doesn't have to have meaning. It's just what's there. But as the practice deepens. As I said, there's the physical, then the energetic, then the emotional, and then the mental, and all of those have sensations. And then we get to the spiritual. Um, Then when I'm interacting in the world, I notice my body. You know, maybe I'm standing in the grocery store line and somebody is really tense and angry next to me. And I notice that my own body is tensing. It doesn't have to, because once I notice my body is tensing, I can look around and say, am I safe? 
Because what my body is doing is saying, mm. you're not safe. And this is the autonomic nervous system. It's a, it's just the reaction, right? My body's saying I'm not safe. But my mind now, once I'm aware of that, can look around and say, no, yeah. actually, you are safe. And you don't need to be worried. And so then I can actively, you know, take a breath, notice my heart, notice my body, and bring myself back down to a state of, I call it homeostasis or equilibrium. And, um, and then I'm going to be less reactive because if I allow that situation where somebody else was reactive and I allowed myself to get reactive, then I carry that state of reactivity with me maybe to, until I'm checking out in the line or maybe I'm take it home with me and snap at my kids, you know, um, I get to calm and be more, um, more aware of my own state, more responsible about my own state just by noticing what my body's doing. Wow. That's incredible. It's just like a moment by moment check-in. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be really brief. You know, that's, that's the practice, right? Is over time, it becomes really as brief as, Hey body, how you doing? <laughs> you know, what do you notice right now? And this is where I, you know, we talk a lot about empaths and I feel like we, I believe we all are empathic. Um, mm. There are studies that show and prove that our hearts co-regulate our heartbeat. When you're interacting with someone, they're going to meet, right? That's empathy, right? And so it takes it a little bit deeper. Like now I can notice how my body is responding, which is taking on. And then I can decide that's not mine, you know, and I can mm. override what needs to be mine and what needs to not be mine. Mm. So I love that. That is my practice right now. What is mine and what is not mine? Yeah. <laughs> and how can I not react? With you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how much I absorb all over, just all the time. Yeah. And I feel like we all do. Some mm -hmm. of us do a more conscious level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But the trick is not to blame the world for our own problems, you know, and that's, <laughs> that's where I feel like the people who are more empathic, you know, can, can get into disease um, mm. because they're taking it on and not able to let it go or not it, let it go is kind of a tricky word, I think, to use because it's not that simple, um, but it can be a practice. That's amazing. Yeah. So how did you start this practice? I'm so curious. So you went from – you were teaching yoga classes. Like how did it evolve into what it is now? Oh, that, you know, just as everything that's all intricately intertwined with my own life story. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I, I got into – like I said, I was always in my body and um, as a dancer and then I practiced yoga for many, many years. Um, and then after my daughter was born, I wanted – to do something for myself. So that's when I became a yoga teacher. And um, my daughter's now almost 16. So that's quite a ways back, isn't it? <laughs> Congratulations. I know, right? <laughs> I like, we it. Um, yeah. And yet we still have so far. To go. But um, so yoga became <laughs> my practice that sustained me as a mom. And then I had my son. But also what was happening at the time was my marriage was just disintegrating. It was very dysfunctional. Um, I'd even say emotionally abusive. I've done a ton of work on myself to not become bitter and angry about that, to not hold on to that. Because again, that's, 
that's going to cause me disease, you know, and, and I don't need that in my life. And so what happened was I recognized very clearly that yoga sustained me and even enabled me to heal, but I needed to know more why, right? And I wanted to, you know, I knew that what I was teaching in the yoga classes was having a big impact on people and myself as well, but I needed to know more and I wanted to make a bigger impact. And so that's when I signed up for yoga therapy training, which is another thousand hours for the international certification. And um, so I dove deep into that and became a yoga therapist myself because naturally I know how much it helped me and I hope that I get to help others, you know, hopefully move through things faster than I did. (laughs) So, yeah. Mm, That's the goal, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You can move through this faster than I did. Yeah. But I also <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> yeah. And I, I also recognize very clearly, and this is not to, to say anything that psychology and psychotherapy is, is not enough. I come from a family of psychologists and psychotherapists, but um, it's just to say that I recognized for the way that I work in the world, I had to have someone that brought it into my body or else my anxiety was heightened after a session. So, you know, I learned really quickly that I, I need to involve the body in order to actually heal. And so I, I joked about my, my therapist being my strategist for a while um, or just emotional support. But the thing that really cleared and healed were the sessions that I had in yoga therapy where I brought the mind into the body wow. rather than the mind into the story. Yeah. Wow. That is so beautiful. Okay. Talk to me about being a dancer. I was also a dancer growing up. Uh-huh. I watched um, the On Point documentary on the Disney Ooh. Plus channel. Highly recommend. <laughs> oh, my God. It is so good. It is about a bunch of teenagers that are at the American Ballet Academy in New York City, and they all want to be part of the New York City dance company. Yeah. I'm butchering all the names of all the companies right now, and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they talk – so many of them say that they dance because that is how they can express their emotions. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like – like I'm like putting all the pieces together. I'm like, okay, I'm just missive avoidant. Emotions are really hard for me. I don't like to feel them. I was a dancer. Was that my method of feeling feelings? Like I'm trying to put it all together. So I'm curious if you've noticed any like correlation there. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's what drew me into yoga. And, um, you know, for anyone listening who has practiced yoga asana in a studio, my entry point was heated power vinyasa yoga because it brought me to that feeling, to that sensation that I had when I was dancing, you know, when I was mm-hmm. moving across the room in my point shoes or being on stage and just that kind of ecstatic open and yes, this is it kind of feeling and really nothing else. I mean, I, I, I run a little bit, I walk, I hike, I cycle and nothing brings me to that kind of ecstatic state. Um, except for when I really mm. get into my body. And and so, yeah, I think those of us that were dancers as kids, that was a way, a means of expression. And yet there's an interesting caveat to that. Um, I believe, at least in my own story, that that presentation, you know, heart forward, 
the ballerina kind of who dances and looks happy when everything is burning around her. Um, I feel like <laughs> that way of being a, created something in me where I'm okay in the world, but back behind me is so much that's happening, right? So as, as my marriage became more and more dysfunctional, nobody knew because I'm able to put forward this presentation and I'm okay mm. and the world is burning around me, but I'm okay, right? And so I think it's interesting to look at things that we did as a child and how that carries into who we are in the world because we develop patterns and habits, you know? So I'm very good at hiding, <laughs> hiding the stuff mm. behind me because I present something oh. different. Yeah. Totally. Or even the things in you, like to be on point shoes is an incredibly painful process. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, so you learn to override the pain, you know, I'm bleeding mm -hmm. in my point shoes and yet I'm smiling and happy and nobody would ever know the pain I'm going through. Yep. I think mm. there's so much there. Yeah. Mm. And watching this documentary, I have to say for me, was so healing, so healing because all of these things were my reality, but I like kind of forgot about them or yeah. like I I absorbed all of it, right? Like always look perfect, always be – it's perfectionism, right? Totally. <laughs> and then I didn't – I don't think I've ever really realized like where I've picked that up, which is so important. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I, I feel like there, there may be a – and the inherent reason why we're attracted to that, why we're, mm. you know, because we're not all attracted to ballet or dance of any sort. Some are runners, some are cyclists, some are, you know, basketball players, some are artists. But I think there's a reason why we get attracted to what we do. And it, it helps us for survival. Mm. Yeah. Which is what it's just all about at that age. <laughs> I know. Well, it, is, yeah. it is now too. You know, it is all about survival. That that car wreck example that you know didn't happen. Yeah. Our the nervous system's response is to keep us safe, is to help us survive, even if we don't need it. And so, the greater awareness that we can hold as we're moving about the world, the more we can, I believe, override that so that we do a service to everyone around us by being less reactive, by responding to what's needed. You know, by not having to go into the drama and the story and, you know, the chaos and what was me and, oh, my gosh, the world's a dangerous place. Um, you know, all of that is. But it is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's yeah. a really big thing to examine. How dangerous do you see the world as being? And that goes directly into your nervous system. So, mm. yeah. Can you trust wow. people? You know, um, yeah. that's another one. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That is yeah. <laughs> so beautiful. <laughs> <clears throat> and I love this idea of examining why I chose ballet or whatever, you know, whatever activity that you chose as a child for survival. I love the idea of like, why was I attracted to it? The, like there's perfectionism, there's getting in my body. There's like this whole embodiment practice in ballet, and yoga, yeah. and stretching, like all of that. And so it's interesting to look at it from that lens of like, why did I choose it to start with? Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's really cool. I love this. Very holistic. I'm really loving this. <laughs> That's how I work is that everything's connected. You know, nothing is, is disconnected. Mm. So even if yeah. it's a, a physical 
ailments. I do believe that there's an energetic and an emotional and a psychological component to it. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I completely agree. And I think too, the more like, the more um, that you can access that, the more pieces you'll put together. Yeah. 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 And it's all working towards more, well, with awareness, there can be acceptance. Right? Mm. And to me, acceptance creates this breathable space. Like this is why I jokingly say that sometimes I'm a somatic linguist. Like what does acceptance feel like in my body? It feels like a, a calming, like a breath, a space, you know, and then you can go into, can I actually accept that there's something unacceptable, you know, because there are. I don't think unacceptable things are going away, but can I accept that they mm. are there? And now I have choice. Mm. You know, once I accept it, now I have choice in how I be with that thing. You know, maybe I fight it. Mm. Maybe I'll allow it to be there. Maybe I turn away and walk walk away, you know, but mm-hmm. now you have the choice. And that's empowerment. Oh, choice that's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I love thinking about it like this. Um, so you have so many offerings on your website and um, there a lot of them are free. So highly recommend checking out her website. We'll, at the end, we'll talk about how to find her. Um, but one of the things that you have on there is asking, um, it's about asking for help. Mm-hmm. So I would love, this is a hard one for me. This is a hard one for my family. I was just having this conversation with my mom. I was like, well, you know, this is like your mom also really my grandma, like she was horrible at asking and accepting help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is like we're we, you can see this lineage of um, struggling to ask for and accept help. So I'm very curious if you can talk to us about that about that whole process. Yeah, absolutely. I had so much fun putting that that little masterclass together too. And it's and if if anyone wants to watch it, it's just about 20 minutes. It's free. It's on my website. Um, but yeah, if we are not asking for help, we're, we're living in this state of extreme independence, right? And this is that self-made man kind of thing. Um, I feel like it is generational in a way, which, you know, the today's generations feel, I think a little bit more safe to put out what they're struggling with and ask for help. And yet, you know, our, our mothers are devastated. Like, what are you doing? You don't put that out to the public. But there's so much that can happen when you ask for that help. First of all, you become relatable to other people. You know, they see you, they see themselves in you and they feel like they can connect to you. And then they get to give you support, which is fulfilling to them because everybody needs to feel significant in this world. And so if they get to help you, then they feel like they've done some service. They've done something significant, you know, and and then by asking for help, you're actually allowing your nervous system to settle because now there's something off your plate. So you become more productive in the things that you can do, you know, the things that you are actually independent in doing. And Living in that state of extreme independence is actually a survival mode of the nervous system. So it actually is, um, I, I work with polyvagal theory, so I'll just explain that very briefly. But 
Um, ventral vagal is kind of that state of equilibrium homeostasis where social engagement happens, connection happens. Sympathetic arousal is, is needed. It's like excitement, but in extreme, it's fight or flight. And then dorsal vagal is mm. in its regular state is where you rest. It's where you sleep. But extreme is what's being talked about now as fawn syndrome. You know, so we either go into fight or flight or we go into fawn freeze. And, um, and so that extreme independence and that doing mentality is actually sympathetic arousal. And it's good. It gets things done. But if that's where you're living all the time, you are emitting hormones like cortisol, the stress hormone, right? And your mm. body just can't handle that over long periods of time. So how do you bring yourself back down and asking for help, practicing asking for help, you know, especially if it's hard for you, mm. practice asking for help in small ways. And that can really start to help feel, help you re-engage, help you come back to that level where you can socially engage with people and, and really connect with people. And knowing that there's nothing wrong with you just because you have to ask for help. I mean, I'm a single mom, you know, I've got a, I can do it all attitude. And yet I have to admit there are many things I have to ask for help with. <laughs> so, especially when it comes to heavy lifting. <laughs> so yeah, mm -hmm. there's a lot there. Wow. That's incredible. I love hearing that it's a service. It's, a, it's not a service, but like it's a, um, it's something that someone else gets to enjoy. Yeah, which is a service, you know, which is healing for them. So many times we know that um, people can help their depression by being in service, by volunteering, mm. right? Well, it it doesn't have to be as as formalized as volunteer work. It can just be that you ask your friend for some help and they get to help you and you've just uplifted them for the day. They feel significant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. It's mm. amazing. It's so much bigger than you. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It always is. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with you is the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love the idea too of just getting in the habit of um, asking for help and slowly. Yeah. So I'm curious, do you have any examples of like how to slowly kind of build that up? Think of something simple, you know. Um, gosh, if I try to think of an example. Um I mean, I ask my my kids for help all the time, and sometimes it's things that I don't really need help with, but mm. it's so good to have them participate in our lives together. Or maybe it's my son helping with the groceries or something like that. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Super easy one. Well, I mean, not easy for everyone, but um, yeah. can be one step. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. <laughs> well- uh, this is amazing. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us? I know we're kind of coming up on the end of our time together. Yeah, I think really just I invite everyone to explore, especially if you've been to talk therapy and you're still feeling kind of stuck. Um, again, not saying that talk therapy doesn't work. It absolutely does. But just notice for yourself if you feel like I've been going to talk therapy for years and there's just something else there. You know, if you have that sense, then it's, it might be time to explore something a little bit different, you know, see how you respond to a little bit of somatic work or 
um, yoga therapy. There are many practitioners out there. Everyone has a different methodology and one person is going to work for you, whereas someone else is not going to. And so what I do is I, I invite everyone into a conversation, just a really casual conversation to see where you're at and what you're wanting. And then I can assess if I feel like I can help you, then we take the conversation from there. Um, but I feel like it's more of an intuitive knowing, you know, it's, it's that feeling of, I just know that this person's the right one for me. I know that this person can help me. And, and so I just invite you to explore in that way. Amazing. I love that. And if anyone is interested in getting in touch with you or following along with your social media, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, Kristen Boyle, and my business page is Kristen Boyle Embodied Living. Instagram, Kristen Boyle Embodied Living. Um, also, my website is embodiedliving.academy. Um, and those are probably the best ways to find me. Um, there's links everywhere in my link tree and Instagram, um, through my website itself. If you want to schedule a chat, there's a link there. So, and also, like you said already, many freebies. <laughs> So take advantage of all the freebies. Many freebies. Go check them out. <laughs> yes, for sure. They're so good. And um, I will link all of those links below as well so you can find those in the show notes. Thank you. Amazing. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for being here. This has been so just illuminating and I feel like um, – uh, embodied, we could say. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm excited to use some of these and in, in, into my own practice. I think it's really cool. Wonderful. I've really enjoyed talking to you. That's it for today's show. Thank you so, so, so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed. If you have a moment and you're in the Apple Podcast app, please rate and review the show. I could really use all the ratings I can get. <laughs> And share this episode with a friend that may benefit from it. You never know. And of course, hit subscribe to keep up with new weekly episodes. Until next week, visit sarahcohan.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com to find other podcast episodes. And you can find Lit AF on Instagram at It's Me, Sarah Cohan. And you can also find me on Clubhouse. Thank you again for listening. Please stay lit, lit AF, and I hope to see you back here next week.